It is a privilege for me to be able to open uh, the Word of God with you here tonight. Uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunities the church has provided me to intern this summer and even Pastor Reed willing to share his pulpit for a couple nights. Uh, I'm actually uh, going to be preaching a couple times in the evening. Uh, this summer will be four times. Next time will be uh, in, later in July. Uh, and I'll be going four times, and I'll be going through the book of Ruth. So there's four chapters in the book of Ruth, which means I'll be preaching four times on chapters one through four of the book of Ruth. So tonight, we begin with chapter one. So I'd ask you to open up your Bibles, and you can turn to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth chapter one. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, uh, there will be one under your pews. As I look through this chapter, I see three main sections. Uh, you see in the beginning when Naomi and her family leave the promised land, and uh, then Ruth enters into the picture, and then they come back. So there's three main sections we're going to deal with tonight, and that's the way we're going to do it. Instead of reading through uh, the whole thing, I'm going to be reading through the first five verses, then the next about 12, and then the last three in separate sections, and we'll address those sections and then connect, connect them together. But the whole story of this chapter one, it's centered around uh, the character of Naomi, and it's Naomi's journey, it's a story of her journey, and ultimately the grace of God in her life. It's a story of Naomi's journey, and ultimately the grace of God in her life. So, beginning in Ruth 1, chapter 1 through 5, it says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This opening section not only uh, sets the stage for this chapter, but more importantly sets the stage uh, for the entire book. Uh, it talks about uh, the journey. It begins, uh, it, be it begins the whole story. First of all, it gives us a timeline. Uh, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. So this is presumably uh, during the time of the judges. Uh, so this is, they're in the land of Canaan. They've conquered the land of Canaan. They're living there. And it's before the kingship of, of David and Saul comes about later. So that's the time period you're in. Uh, it's not exactly sure the exact date. And the other thing it tells us, which is key, is it says there was an intense famine in the land of Israel. Okay, and this was not just uh, including Bethlehem and Judah. It says that's where they were from. Uh, but it is presumably over most of the land of Israel. It's a large famine, uh, and it's a pretty severe famine. This wasn't a short famine for a couple of weeks or months. It was presumably a fairly long one, not only in Bethlehem or Judah, but in the surrounding areas. And the story begins with a man. It does not open up with talking about Naomi or Ruth. It begins with a man. It starts with Elimelech. And it says he went to sojourn or to visit a foreign land away from the family. Presumably, the reason he did this is there's a famine, he's looking for food. So he heads out to find food. He leaves uh, the land of uh, the promised land. The issue with this is, right off the bat, the people of God were not told to leave the promised land. They were supposed to stay there 
and dwell there. Uh, God provided this promised land. He promised them back in Egypt that he'd take them there. He took them there. They'd conquered it, uh, as recorded in Joshua. And once they're there, God promises to protect and provide for the people. Uh, In Psalm 37, verse 3, says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So the start of the book speaks of a man of Elimelech who fails to trust God. Uh, He chooses to leave the promised land. He doesn't choose to stay and trust the Lord is going to provide food, that he will take care of his people, rather. He chooses to take matters into his own hands and search for provisions. So he takes takes off to Moab, uh, and he took his family with him. His name was Elimelech. His His wife's name was Naomi. The name Naomi literally means to be pleasant. Uh, She was most likely named, well, she was most likely a pleasant woman at the time, or at least named for that. And she had two sons. One was Malon and one was Chilion. They They were Israelites, presumably from Ephrath, near Bethlehem. So these were, uh, Israelites are part of the chosen people of God. And then it says that they remain there. First, Elimelech goes to sojourn there to visit. If you put that in current terms, he books a night at a hotel there. Uh, and now it says they remain there. It turns into more than just a visit. No longer is he just staying there for a night, uh, but in current terms, he's, he's gotten an apartment. He's moving in there for a more significant period of time. And then it says that the man Elimelech dies. So here's Naomi. She's left in a foreign land. She's got her two sons, and that's it. Her husband is gone out of the picture. He's dead. And now the story shifts from the focus on Elimelech Now the story fixes itself upon Naomi, and it follows her for the rest of the chapter. These two sons of hers now take Moabite wives. And it says, after ten years, they die. But when these men took wives, they were breaking the law of the Lord for his promised people. It says uh, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 3, it says, you shall not intermarry with them. That's being the outsiders, outsiders, foreigners, the non-Israelites. You should not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away from your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. You see, these sons broke the law to intermarry with the people. They chose to intermarry. Now they're facing the wrath of God. It says after 10 years, both of these sons died. So now here's Naomi. She has no immediate family. Uh, She's a grieving widow, one of of 10 years. Uh, Her husband is no longer a picture. Now she has no son. She's a parent who has watched her children die in front of her. You see here that sin with its destructive nature has run its course. Uh, Sin does not bring prosperity long term. Uh, Rather, it destroys, it ruins, and it ravages. You see this in Naomi's life. She's left alone Sin, not necessarily directly of her, has left her alone. There are always consequences for your sin. Uh, if you know the story of David, I think it's a good, il- a good illustration. The story of David and Bathsheba. David, uh, well, first he sins by not being out with his army, but then he sins by being on his rooftop and gazing out to look for a woman. He ends up seeing Bathsheba, and he, he ends up s- sleeping with her. But the thing that about that is, it didn't just stop there. The outworkings of sin, 
the ramifications of sin, the destructive nature of sin, wrecks his whole family. Uh, first he tries to deceive, then he ends up having to kill Uriah. It wrecked uh, Uriah. He makes, <laughs> not only that, he didn't do it himself, he makes the commander pull the strings to have Uriah killed. Then after that, when uh, he's rebuked by, by Nathan, uh, Nathan the prophet, it says he, is, he, was, he was given the curse, the sword would not depart from his house. Uh, one, he wasn't allowed to build uh, the temple later on, but you also see all three of his sons, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, they all die, and they all die a very violent uh, death. In addition to that, his wives are publicly humiliated. You see, this, this sin, this one sin he did with his destructive nature has wrecked his entire family. Uh, it's destructive by nature. Sin to its very core is destructive, and we're seeing this in the life of this family and Naomi. When they left the land, Elimelech died. They failed to trust the Lord. That was their sin. Elimelech dies. The sons, they choose to marry Moabite women. Now, they were led there by their father, but they themselves were aware of the law. They knew what the law said, and they chose to marry a Moabite. So then the sons die. Yet as we're about to read, the grace of God is still very, very present in Naomi's life. So I'd invite you to look down at your scriptures again, starting at verse 6 through verse 18. It says, Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on to the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go! Return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons? in my womb, that they may become your husbands. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for is it exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me? Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried." May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. As the Lord promised back in the Psalms that he would be faithful to Israel, he was. He provided food in the land, the land where where Elimelech had led his family out of. The Lord was faithful as he always is, and there is now once again prosperous food in the promised land. Therefore, Naomi, left alone, 
uh, decides that she's going to go back. And she goes back with her two daughter-in-laws. It just says they begin the journey together. It doesn't say if there's any communication there, how it transpired that they all went, but they were both going. They were both seeking food for living and a better life. <laughs> it's quite ironic that they're going back to find the very thing which they left to seek for in the first place. They left the land to find this food and better life that they are now going to seek. And as Naomi is leading them back to Israel, she tries to send Ruth and Orpha back to her, their own land. Uh, but she does this uh, for their own good, is what her, her motive behind it is. They had acted kindly towards Naomi. Uh, this was not out of spite that she sends them back, that she didn't want them to come to the promised land, uh, but rather I'd, I'd submit to you it's most likely out of care, just not in the right way. In Ruth 1, 8-9 it says, But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. And here's the motive. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept. They were faithful wives, from what it sounds like, to their now dead husbands. They were kind towards Naomi even agreeing to go home with her. Therefore, Naomi tries to help them, but she doesn't do it in the proper way she sends them home, uh, presumably to find husbands. It says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Ruth and Orpha refuse to go. She tries to send them. They refuse, and they say to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi doesn't listen, and she offers a three-part argument, each of them increasing uh, in, in intensity. First she says, have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? She's like, I'm not pregnant. Step one. Step two. She goes, for I am too old to have a husband. She goes, okay. Maybe I'm not pregnant, but even if I wasn't, uh, I'm too old to have a husband. I'm advanced in age. One, I'm not likely to get married. I'm no longer young. Uh, I'm a widow, and two, I'm not someone who's certain to still be able to have children at her advanced age. She'd lived there at least 10 years after her daughter's marriage. She was an older woman. She says, three, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? So her, her argument increases, even if I had children, and even if they were sons, they weren't daughters, it would still take years until they'd be of age to marry you. Each one of these appeals is more and more improbable to happen. Naomi has stated her argument logically, and it is her best argument at this time. Now, it's ironic because she sees no possibility that if the daughters would come home with her, that they could find husbands. It doesn't occur to her. She sees the way of getting husbands, it's either for me or you got to go back. There's no other way you could find a husband. Uh, I mean, the, the, case, the cases may be valid that there are husbands uh, back there, but the solution is just not the best. Her appeal is, I would say, from hurt and bitterness. In, in Ruth 1.13b, it says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She sees the Lord. She's she understands the hand of the Lord is against her. He's taken, away her. he's taken away her husband and also her two sons. So in her mind, she may be thinking, do I want the daughters-in-law to come back to Israel 
with my God. He's dealt harshly with me. Do I want this? And then they weep together. They weep together as widows, all three of them who've lost, who have lost their husbands. Uh, they they uh, weep as a mother who has lost her sons, and they weep as women who love each other but may be departing. At this point, Orpha leaves. That's the end of Orpha. That's all you hear from her. Uh, you can't blame her for that. She was not... She was not obligated to go, nor was Ruth, but Ruth decides she's going to stay. So Naomi, seeing this opportunity, well, I got rid of one. Let's see if the other one, I get the other one to follow. So she tries to persuade Ruth again. She says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now Naomi's falling into deeper sin. She is one an Israelite. She's an Ephrathite. She believes in Yahweh. She is in the promised land. She believes in the one true God. And now she sends Ruth back after her sister, statedly to go after her gods as well. Sends them away from Yahweh, the opposite direction. And sends them to the the foreign Moabite gods. And then Ruth decides, after this appeal, that she's going to commit to Naomi, which just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. It's a working of the grace of God because it does not make sense. You have this bitter mother-in-law and you're deciding to commit to her. And Ruth says, basically this, she says, stop arguing. I'm coming with you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people will be my people and your God, the personal name for God, Adonai, Yahweh, will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And not only that, after death, where you are buried, I will be buried. Only death will separate us. Or may the Lord Yahweh judge me. This is a serious oath. This is not a light one. It's similar to a wedding vow. Some people think that uh, the language of a a wedding vow is taken from the book of Ruth. Uh, This is not at all, it's it's not any form of a marriage. That is not what's happening. It's an oath, but it's a strong, strong oath. The idea of where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Only death will separate us. Or may the Lord judge me. But it's a significant oath, a significant commitment. And because of Ruth's commitment, Naomi then relents and allows her to come. This whole section is so fascinating to me as you see Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi as an outworking of God's grace. Uh, That's the only way to explain it. Naomi did not deserve this grace from God. Uh, first of all, Naomi failed to trust God and left the land. She did not trust the Lord that he would provide in the land. She leaves. Then after she's there and she's coming back, she tries to send the daughters back to get married to foreign, foreign Moabites and ultimately to serve other gods. She was exceedingly bitter for the discipline of the Lord. And in addition... <laughs> When Ruth tries to send back, or when Naomi tries to send back Ruth to her own gods, she's breaking uh, the very first commandment of the law. You shall have no other gods before me. She seemed to be focused on Ruth's well-being. She wanted what was good for Ruth. She just did not go about it in a good way. But God chose to show grace to Naomi when she was in sin. Another fascinating topic is Ruth's faithfulness. Because it doesn't make sense for Ruth to follow 
Naomi and Yahweh, when you look at Naomi's life, and it shows not a very good example of what a woman of God, a God-fearing woman, uh, should act like. Uh, Ruth, at this point, most likely did not know beforehand the God of Israel personally. She may have known about him. She was a Moabite, and if you uh, trace the lineage of the Moabite, it goes back, they descend from Lot. Uh, Lot, when his daughters make him drunk and sleep with him, then they have children, and that produces the line of the Moabites. We'll, we'll dig into that in future weeks. So, but what I'm saying to you is there's a chance she had some knowledge of God. Uh, I mean, Lot and Abraham, there's a chance that she knew about God, but she was a Moabite, a practicing Moabite. She also knew the name of Yahweh, his personal name, Adonai. Uh, she did not just call him a God, but by his personal name. She also has character. She cared for her husband, she, she was a faithful wife, and she cared for her mother-in-law. Uh, maybe not understanding, but she did have character. But still, it does not completely make sense as to why Ruth would be so committed to this woman. But I'd submit to you that God used Ruth to show his grace and mercy to Naomi, even when Naomi was still in sin. The last section of the, verse, or the chapter we're going to read now, so look down at your scriptures again. Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through the end of verse 22. It says this, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So it's the final section, the end of the journey. Naomi had set out earlier, now she comes back. But it's Naomi and Ruth. And the whole town is stirred, they're confused. It doesn't make sense. This woman Naomi, she went away with a full family. She had a husband and two sons. And now she returns 10 years later, 10 plus years later, uh, with only Ruth, a foreign Moabite woman. Naomi responds to this confusion. She says, do not call me Naomi, as we talked about. It means pleasant. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The name Mara is, is to be bitter, to be desperate, uh, or to, be, to, to be bewildered. Uh, she is bitter against the Lord. She is in a place of desperation. Verse 20 21 says, She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mar, for the Almighty has dealt bitter with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I think at this point, Naomi has fully realized that the struggles, the calamities that she is facing are the Lord's judgment, and he's pouring out on her for her sins as well as her family's. Elimelech died after leading them into Moab. The sons died after marrying foreign wives. Sin has run its course. She has seen the hand of the Lord poured out against her. That's why she says, I went away at full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. If you leave the promised land, 
You go into sin, you have felt the judgment of the Lord, yes, you went away fool, and now you're coming back empty. She was not innocent. She had bitterness, sending Orpha and Ruth back to their gods, as we talked about. But Naomi sees the Lord's judgment in her life, and that is why she is bitter. Naomi was wrong for her bitterness, clearly, but her theology is not very, is not totally whack, per se. I was reading uh, some of John Piper, his comments on this passage that he had taught through, and he, he, he makes this observation about her theology. One, she believed in God. She believed in Yahweh, the one true God, the name of the Lord. Uh, she may not have pointed Ruth and Orpha to him, but starting out, at least she believes in God. Not only that, too, she believes that God was sovereign and in total control. She knew that the Lord had provided food for the people back in Israel when she was venturing back, and she wished that the Lord would be kind with Ruth and Orpha when she sends them back to get husbands in in Moab. She sees the things in the past, so those are when she heard that the Lord had provided food, things in the past, that that the Lord was in control of that. She sees in the future that the Lord would be in control of dealing kindly with the people. And three, not only did she believe God was sovereign and in control, but she believed that God was in control and orchestrating even her suffering and judgment. When she talks about the things she's facing, she says, the Lord Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord brought me back empty. The Almighty brought calamity. She realizes that the judgment she is facing, the circumstances in her life, are directly from the Lord. She was by no means perfect, but her theology of understanding of the Lord's sovereignty is as good or better than many evangelicals today. She understood the Lord and his power. But what she failed to see was the grace of God in her life. She's totally aware of the sufferings and the calamities, uh, but she's not yet aware of the grace of God. But as we look at the story from afar, not living in the story, I think we can clearly see how the Lord is working in her life. First, Naomi's life was spared. She lived in Moab. She was not supposed to be there. Not only that, she stayed there 10 years. She was bitter. She told Ruth to go back to the very gods against Yahweh. So she didn't see her life being spared as a grace of God. She also didn't appreciate Ruth, her faithfulness to Naomi, Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi is an outworking of God's grace. Uh, first of all, it brought companionship. You have a, a widow, a mother who is no longer a mother of living children, who is alone in a land far away, and Ruth, if nothing else, brought companionship to her. It's the grace of God. In addition, it brought a level of pr- protection. Naomi is most likely an older woman. Ruth is a much younger woman, uh, maybe not able to fully protect her, but a better job of protecting her than she can do herself. In addition to that, she offers her support. I mean, just assisting in life, someone to be, someone to be with, someone to talk with, someone to live with. Uh, and in addition to that, she can put her trust in Ruth. Ruth, based on just her commitment that she gave to Naomi, has shown herself to be one trustworthy uh, that Naomi can trust. But she, she missed that. She didn't see Ruth yet as a vessel of God's grace. She also 
was not aware of the future blessing that the land of Bethlehem would provide. First of all, she was brought back to the land of Bethlehem, to the land of God. She found food and shelter, which is ironic because when the word Bethlehem is quite literally two words, uh, bait, which is house, and lechem, which is bread or food, it's house of food. Uh, the very place she left in search of food was what God had called the house of food, the house of bread. In addition to that, when she comes back to this, this house of food, Bethlehem, they return at the beginning of the barley harvest, a time when food would be plentiful. And she doesn't see this yet, but this same place brings about a man by the name of Boaz. I'm sure you're familiar uh, with the book of Ruth, and we'll get there, but Boaz ends up being a husband uh, to Ruth, which is quite ironic. It's the very place she was trying to keep Ruth out of, to go back and find a husband he one day will find in this land of Bethlehem. In the past, Bethlehem uh, has, brought, has brought her help. In the present, it is bringing her help, and in the future, it will bring her help. We see many more blessings that come out of this place in future weeks. But Naomi is not yet aware of this. But I I think from this whole story, you don't don't look to Naomi to praise her. You don't necessarily look to Ruth to praise her, though her faithfulness is very commendable. But you look at the grace of God. That is the overarching theme throughout it, throughout Ruth's faithfulness and in the life of Naomi. And it tells us a couple of things about the nature of, of the grace of God. First, the grace of God will continue through times of struggles and sin. Naomi wandered. She wandered far. She went away hard. She went away for 10 years out of the land. She was bitter towards the Lord. She sent her daughters-in-law away from the Lord to serve other gods. Now, don't miss this. The consequences of her sin are still there. She's now a widow, a mother of sons who are no longer living. The consequences of her sin are still there, but the grace of God has continued with her through this wandering. Another thing we can look at the grace of God is that it will often manifest itself in one's life in the form of other believers or another person. Naomi failed to see Ruth as an instrument of the grace of God. Uh, She did not see her as a blessing I think in my own life, and just there's many people in my life who have been a blessing to me who are other believers, it's not only the grace of God for salvation and, and provision, but one of the things he has provided, he's provided people in my life to point me to the Lord, a family I was raised in that loves the Lord. Another thing you see about the nature of the grace of God, it is, it is not always easily visible in the midst of struggles and sins. Naomi was blinded to this grace of God because of the physical suffering she was going through. Her bitterness is much of what blinded her. And I want to close, though, today. Finally, the grace of God is fully and clearly seen in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His, death is, his life, his death, his resurrection, conquering sin and death. We're not there yet, but this entire book of Ruth is a form of God's grace. It's a form of God's grace in the life of Ruth, in the life of Naomi, uh, and ultimately, as we're going to see in our own lives today, as it brings us our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no greater form of grace 
than that. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, how it is trustworthy, how it is true, uh, how we can know it, both passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Lord. They're all God-breathed and applicable for us today, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the example of Naomi, how we can see that even when we wander, your grace is still there. Lord, keep us close to ourselves when our hearts become hard, when our hearts uh, wander from you, when they are not close to you. Keep us close to you, Lord. Uh, show us your grace. Let us not wander into sin. Save us from the consequences of sin, Lord, but keep us close to yourself, Lord. I thank you uh, for the lives of other believers who are a blessing to us, Lord. I pray that we would see them as blessings. I pray that we would see your grace for what it is in our own lives, even in the times of, of struggles and hardships, Lord. And finally, Lord, I thank you most, most of all for your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, for his life, his death, his resurrection, and for the hope we have of eternal life and a pardon for sins where we can live in your love, Lord. I thank you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.